Uh, in a few minutes, we'll be in 2 Corinthians 10, if you want to take your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10. While you're turning there, and before I introduce the lesson, uh, I want to just take a minute and tell you what a joy it's been to be with you all again. Um, I've known many of you for, man, I don't know how long it's been that I've been coming down this way. Yeah, since 04. So it's been a while. Um, it's a few years in between each time, but every time I come, uh, y'all look older, especially Brent. And uh, <laughs> But you all just get sweeter and kinder, and then all the new people, new faces. Uh, it's just been a joy. I want to say that um, both Brent, when we were growing up there in San Diego, and Eric, when I first met him, uh, I always knew that both of those men were uh, special. They were smart and good-hearted, um, but I don't know that I could have imagined that God would do as much good with them as he has, and it is a joy and a blessing to be with them, and that I can call them my friends, and I've just enjoyed being with them this week. So, I've had a lot of conversations lately, especially in light of what's gone on the last couple of years. With people who are discouraged because life is so different for them, or at least life was different for them for a while, being isolated, not being around people like they used to, uh, there's a, a vitality that can be drained when you're not around people and not being able to engage with others. Um, but especially when it comes to being influential or trying to be a light or an encouragement in the lives of people around you. Um, I remember having some conversations, not just with people because of the, the pandemic, but I've, I've talked with older people recently who say things like, you know, as I've gotten older, I don't have as many people in my life. Um, I'm out living my friends. I don't go to work every day. Uh, I don't get to be around some of the folks that I used to be around. And we'll say things like, so I, I don't know where I fit. I don't know what to do. Um, but you don't have to be old to feel that. I, I've talked to moms who, you know, started having children. And when they started having children, they felt like they never talked to an adult ever. And they, like, missed that. And they can get discouraged that life isn't what it used to be. Um, maybe it's not that. For some people, it's health. Like your health changes, your circumstances change, and it seems like your world gets smaller and the opportunities to do good just aren't there, and that can just drain you. Um, so I want to preach this last lesson on influence. It's a simple lesson, but I titled it, Brighten the Corner Where You Are. Has anyone ever heard that song, that hymn, by show of hands? Anybody know that song? Uh, it's usually all the gray heads like that. No, no, it is. It's not, it's not a song that is as popular as it used to be. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about the woman who wrote it. Uh, but I want to tell you about two women. And when I was originally writing this lesson, I had just read about this woman named Ida Lewis. But I knew I wanted to talk about the woman who wrote the song, uh, Ina Ogden. And their names were so similar that I had to talk about both of them. Uh, if you've ever heard of Ida Lewis, um, she, 
she was once called the bravest woman in America. And it was while she was living, in fact. Um, she was born in Newport, uh, Connecticut. Excuse me, Newport, Rhode Island. And her father was a lighthouse keeper on Lime Rock Lighthouse. But as soon as they moved out to that island, um, the father got sick. And so the mom and um, Ida had to take over being the lighthouse keepers um, with, a, with a father who had had a stroke and was incapacitated. Uh, one of the kids in that family, one of the girls, was disabled. So it was a really tough life for her. But she just took on that role from the time she was like 12 years old. Um, she made her first rescue of four people at sea when she was 12. And um, she became known as the fastest swimmer in all of that region because there was no way to get from the, the island to the land except by boat. And most of the time, you didn't have time for that, so she would just swim back and forth. Um, in fact, she got so good with a rowboat when she was young that nobody could beat her. Like people would try to race her, big, strong men, and she would just whoop them every time. Um, in fact, people began to say some pretty unkind things to her because she was strong uh, and they said unfeminine. I think she one time had a famous quote that said, none but a donkey would consider it unfeminine to save lives. Um, she is a tough broad. And I think like in, in her lifespan um, at that lighthouse, she saved something like 25 people and was at that time in history, the highest paid life, lifehouse, uh, or lighthouse keeper anywhere in the country. Uh, anyway, look her up. She's an interesting woman. But it reminds me a little bit of the idea of, of what Christians are about. You know, we sing songs like this about how we as Christians are kind of like a lighthouse. There are people trying to make it through the storms of life. Uh, and we're trying to help them find safety in the harbor. And I like those old songs. So this other woman, uh, these are pictures that, that's actually a picture of Ida and then a, a painting of her. Uh, this other woman, Ina Ogden, was a simple teacher in Illinois, uh, way back at the end of the 1800s. And she taught with passion all these children there, but she wasn't well known outside of her area, but she started writing songs and poems and things like that. I think in her life, she wrote more than 3,000 poems. You wouldn't know very many of them. Most of them didn't become famous. But this particular song that she wrote, um, the, the um, Bright in the Corner Where You Are, was has since that time it's been written, been sung by all kinds of people. Ella Fitzgerald, look it up on Spotify. Um, Tennessee Ernie Ford. And there's like tons of people that have covered it. Even though it's a hymn, uh, it, it reaches people in its words. But the story behind the song is that she finally got noticed for her teaching and her poems. And she got invited to go to the East Coast to speak to a, a couple of thousand teachers. And she was so excited about this because she was finally going to get to influence all these people. And it was literally like the day or two before she took that trip that something happened to her father and she couldn't leave. She had to stay and take care of them. And she was devastated and heartbroken about it. So she sat down and she wrote this poem. Here's the poem. 
Do not wait until some deed of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light afar. To the many duties ever near you now be true. Brighten the corner where you are. Just above are clouded skies that you may help to clear. Let not narrow self your way to bar. Though into one heart alone may fall your song of cheer, brighten the corner where you are. Here for all your talent, you may surely find a need. Here, reflect the bright and morning star. Even from your humble hand, the bread of life may feed. Brighten the corner where you are. And the refrain of the chorus is just brighten the corner where you are. Someone far from the harbor, you may guard a, uh, guide across the bar. Brighten the corner where you are. You know, if you, if you just stop and think about what a simple, beautiful message that is. That you may not ever have some moment to have a great impact on all kinds of people. But if you can come to terms with where you live, when you live, among around the people that you live. And you can get a hold of this idea that you just want to shine and be cheerful and be helpful. You just have no idea what will happen. Um, it's actually pretty well known that this is this song, this hymn was Ronald Reagan's favorite hymn from the time he was very young. Uh, and because he lived out the message of that hymn, of course, he became somebody that influenced a lot of people. Now, those are great stories, but I want to read some scripture that helps us understand the idea of this. Look here at 2 Corinthians 10. Start reading with me in verse 12, if you would. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. But when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure, to reach even as far as you. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far uh, as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. Now, this passage that is written here by Paul comes in a few chapters that are a little bit difficult, I think, to understand. If you look at 2 Corinthians 10, 11, and 12, you'll kind of be scratching your head a little bit with some of the things Paul says. And the reason that is, is he's pretty frustrated with the Corinthians. The Corinthians have been influenced by people that think in order to be influential, you have to be something powerful and grand. And they keep sort of putting Paul down because they think he's not as amazing as they are. And so Paul kind of stoops to their level for a little bit in these chapters and kind of um, in his rhetorical way makes fun of these teachers, but also gets on the case of the Corinthians and says, why are you guys being influenced like this? 
Now, in this particular section, you might have noticed he keeps using this word sphere. Your version might say area. And I, I like there where he says these things about, look, uh, look at verse 13. We're not going to boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere that God apportioned to us. And he keeps saying, like, look, I'm not going to try to step out of somebody out of my own sphere of influence into somebody else's. I just I just want to do what God wants me to do where I am. This word for sphere comes from the Greek word that was a, a measuring rod. Like you would measure something off and it would give an area of that place that's used four times in the New Testament. Three of them are right here. The other one's in Galatians. Um, but I wanted to just stop for a minute and think about a couple of lessons from this idea in this text. Number one, this one seems really easy, but I want you to stay with me for a minute on it. Every person, it does not matter who they are, has a sphere of influence. And one of the challenges that a lot of people have is thinking that their sphere of influence doesn't matter as much as somebody else's. Except if you think about the way God has always worked, the way God made the universe, for example. There might be um, planets out there that make their sort of rounds or do what they do out there in the galaxies. Um, some of those, you know, luminaries might seem like bigger, brighter, more powerful. But what if the ones that were smaller, not quite as prominent, didn't actually do what they were supposed to do in their sphere? Um, Things would kind of come crashing down. And, and Paul's going to use imagery like this in other ways. Um, I want to remind you of something he wrote in the first letter to the Corinthians. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And listen to the way he says this here. 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. You see, there where Paul says, look, there's lots of different kinds of gifts or there's ministries or effects. Like everybody's got something different in their life. And in the church or in the body of Christ, really just in the, in the world at large, um, there's all kinds of things that people can do, but the source of the thing is what makes it important. They're all from the spirit. They're all from God. God made every part the way he wanted to. In fact, he says that a little bit later. Go to verse 22. Look at verse 22 of chapter 12. And Paul wrote, on the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor and our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You know, this 
particular text has become more beautiful to me as I've gotten older. Um, Especially as I've gotten older and my role has become more prominent. And I get a little bit more attention because of what I do in the church. It's become more special to me to see this text. That God deems what seems to be the, the weaker or the lesser members of the body as more honorable. Look, fact of the matter is, I get plenty of thanks for what I do. I can get down, I can get discouraged, I can think I'm not doing a very good job often, and it's important to me that people uh, remind me that I'm doing good. There's no doubt that the devil's in my head all the time, trying to convince me otherwise. But the fact is, I get to hear the praise of men and 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 the commendation of people, where there's some people in the body that never get to hear it. Somebody who day in and day out loves and serves and wrestles with different things in their, in their life. And here's a text that says, not only are you in the body by God's design, but he bestows upon you more abundant honor for what you lack uh, from getting from others. For just a minute, I want you to think about this. You know, one of the problems I've always had as a preacher is I want to teach everybody I can. Uh, but I, I don't get to get around very many people because of what I do. Um, you could do this with my congregation back home, but I'll just have, I'll do it with you guys. Think about this room full of people, and whatever each person's sphere of influence is. Many of you live in neighborhoods, or go to work somewhere, or some of you young ones go to school. In places that Brent will never get to be. Um, That somebody else who's maybe more outspoken or more evangelistic may never get to be. But you exist in that place by God's design. And if you were to map it out around where you all live, there's just a lot of places where God's light currently is in every one of those places. Um, But... What we need to remember is that whatever our sphere is, it's where we need to be making sure we shine. So go back to uh, 2 Corinthians 10 for a minute. Let's talk about a couple more things in this text. First lesson is every one of us has a sphere. The second thing we need to notice in this text is that we need to beware to compare or beware of comparing. Um, he says that a couple of times. You see there in verse 12 when he says, we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves, but when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are without understanding. What are they without understanding about? When people live their lives and think of themselves a certain way because they compare themselves, Why does Paul say that's an arrogant thing to do? He says, we're not bold enough to do that. And the people that do that are without understanding of what? Here's the simple answer of the way God measures value. That's not the way God measures value. It is the way we often measure value. You know what the two greatest dangers are of comparing ourselves with other people? Number one, 
If I compare myself to someone who has a greater sphere of influence, or perhaps does in my mind what is more good work for God, then I start concluding that mine doesn't matter at all. Like if I can't be like that, if I don't do this in this place, um, then I don't matter. And so I shut down. But the other danger is on the other side of that. When somebody begins to measure their life against somebody else's and, and, look, and looks at it and says, hey, look, I do way more than somebody else. I have more friends on social media. They get to see my clever, you know, Christian posts. Uh, I, I, I do all these things and somebody else doesn't do anything at all. Therefore, I must be approved by God. God must really like me. That's a foolish thing to think. There are two things that Jesus said about this. Go back to Luke 18. Look at Luke 18. I'll suggest to you that us religious folks are often the ones that are most guilty of this. But that's what Jesus talks about here in this story that he tells in Luke 18 around verse 9. And it would help if I went to Luke and not John. So here we go. Luke 18, 9. Jesus also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was, uh, was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified other, uh, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now that's the classic thing Jesus talked about with comparison. He says, you've got these two guys. One of them goes into the temple and starts thanking God that he's just not like other people. By the way, people do this all the time with politics. I thank you, God, that I'm not a this party. I thank you, God, that I'm not a this party. And what probably all of us should say about our politics or anything else is, you know what, God, we probably need to be forgiven of a lot of stuff. And that's how the sinner talks. God, I need your mercy in my life. You know what I find really ironic about this? If it, Maybe this is just a, a parable in the sense that Jesus just made up the story. But man, it sounds really real, doesn't it? It's almost like Jesus could have seen it happen in the temple. And because Jesus told this story, that humble man that thought he wasn't worth anything has actually helped more people throughout the centuries than that Pharisee who thought he was something. And I love that. So we need to be careful about the way we compare. I told you there were two things. Uh, For sake of time, I'll just mention this one. In John chapter 20, Jesus has a conversation with uh, the apostle Peter. That's the time where he goes to Peter after Peter had denied him three times. And Jesus asked him three times, hey, Peter, do you love me? 
And Peter would say, well, you know that I love you. And Jesus would say, well, then tend my lambs, tend my sheep, uh, take care of my people. And he kept asking him and Peter kept getting frustrated. And do you remember at the end of that conversation, Peter looked over at, I believe it would have probably been John. And he's like, hey, what about this guy? Because Jesus went on to tell Peter that he was going to die in a terrible way. And I love Jesus' response when Peter says, what about that guy? Jesus essentially says, why are you asking me about him? I can do whatever I want with him. That's not your life. You, Peter, live your life and let John live his life. And whatever I decide to do with either of you, let that not be of any concern to you. You do what you know to do. Go back to um, 2 Corinthians 10. Let me bring out a third lesson here in this text. I want you to notice verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 10 for this lesson. Look at verse 15. Paul wrote, Not boasting beyond our measure, that is in other men's labors, but with the hope that is that as your faith grows, we will within our sphere uh, be enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you, and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. What I want you to notice about the way Peter, or the way Paul writes this, is he seems to be content with doing what he can within his sphere, while simultaneously striving to want his sphere to be enlarged. And I think that's a good goal. We started this whole series on Sunday by me talking about contentment and how contentment equals furtherance of the gospel. That when people around us see that we are genuinely happy people, fulfilled and joyful, regardless of, as Eric pointed out in the last lesson, our circumstances or our trials or our difficulties, we draw people to ask questions about life. But here is the point that Paul's making. I'm content in that moment, but I want my sphere to be enlarged. I I seek to grow in ways that I, I can in any way that God wants to use me. And Paul would write like this a lot to the Corinthians 1 Corinthians 14 verses 1 and 12, when he's talking about spiritual gifts, he says, look, you do your gift, but go ahead and earnestly desire more gifts in your life so that you can do those things as well. I want to read you um, a story that I heard when I was young. It's actually a Chinese proverb, and I don't typically deal in Chinese proverbs, but I have never forgotten this story from when I was a kid. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the parable of the stone cutter, but listen to this. There, there was once a stone cutter who was dissatisfied with himself and with his position in life. One day he passed a wealthy merchant's house and through the open gateway, he saw many fine possessions and important visitors. How powerful that merchant must be, thought the stone cutter. He became very envious and wished that he could be like the merchant. To his great surprise, he suddenly became the merchant, enjoying more luxuries and power than he had ever imagined. But he was envied and detested by those less wealthy than himself. 
Soon, a high official passed by, carried in a sedan chair, accompanied by attendants and escorts, by soldiers beating gongs. Everyone, no matter how wealthy, had to bow low before the procession. How powerful that official is, he thought. I wish I could be that high official. Suddenly, he became the high official. He was carried everywhere in his embroidered chair. He was feared and hated by people all around him. But it was a hot summer day. So the official felt very uncomfortable as he began to sweat in his chair. He looked up at the sun. It shone proudly in the sky, unaffected by his presence. How powerful the sun is, he thought. I wish I could be the sun. So he became the sun. Shining fiercely down on everyone, scorching the fields, cursed by the farmers and laborers. But a huge black cloud moved between him and the earth so that his light could no longer shine on everything below. How powerful that storm cloud is, he thought. I wish I could be the cloud. He became the cloud, floating above the the, the fields and the villages, shouting at everyone. But soon he was being pushed by something of a greater force, and he realized it was the wind. How powerful the wind is, he thought, and he became the wind. Then as he blew tiles off of roofs and houses, uprooting trees, feared and hated by everyone below him, after a while he ran up against something that he could not move. No matter how forcefully he blew against it, a huge towering rock. How powerful that rock is, he thought. I wish I could be that rock. Then he became the rock. How more powerful than anything else on earth. But as he stood there, he heard the sound of a hammer pounding a chisel into the hard surface and felt himself being changed. What could be more powerful than the rock, he thought. And he looked down and he saw the figure of a stone cutter. You know, when I was young, I know that I wanted to be more. I know that as I went about in my little congregation back in San Diego and would go talk to visitors and try to encourage them and try to find Bible studies, I knew that I wanted a greater sphere of influence. But I'll tell you something, no matter what I've been able to do in my life, there are days where I wish I could just go back and be that kid on the pew. You ever had that happen? That you want something and you get it and then you realize, I didn't actually want this promotion. Could I go back and be that guy and not in charge of everybody else? And you wrestle in your life with these kind of transitions. You know what the key to this is? The key to this is contentment. That you realize that whatever sphere you're in, at whatever time you're in, you, you know that God is the reason that you've been put there and you give him the glory and you do your work and you influence the people and you just do it until the next thing comes. Because man, life changes fast, doesn't it? Last thing I'd like to say about this is that we are told in this text, at the end of the text, go to verse 18 or verse 17. That he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, 
but he whom the Lord commends. Now that quote, you might notice in your Bible, verse 17 is italicized because it's a quote from the Old Testament. It might be interesting for you to notice that this quote actually bookends 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote this at the beginning of the book of 1 Corinthians. This church in Corinth had trouble with arrogance and boasting and wanting to be more important than than each other. And, And I love verse 18 here when he says, look, it's not somebody who commends themselves that's approved. It's whoever God commends that's approved. But I want to take you back to that Old Testament quote. On the way, stop in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And just notice the first time Paul wrote this before we see it in its Old Testament context. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Actually, before I read verse 26, go back up to verse 20. I just want to show you this in verse 20. You see where Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You know what Paul was saying is when he came and began to preach about Jesus, there were people in the world who were wise who thought it was a stupid story there were people who thought that they were above what god was doing here and so he asked these rhetorical questions where's the wise man where's the scribe where's the debater did you know that those three things were the three schools of the pharisees that the, the pharisees had a school of wisdom they had a school of scribal learning and they had a school of debate do you know who was a pharisee Paul was. You know what he's really saying here? Where am I now? Like all the things that I learned in my earlier life about what I thought meant all of religion. I now I'm just preaching Jesus simply to whoever I can, wherever I can. And and where are these, this, where's this man? And where are all the others that can combat the wisdom of Christ? So skip down to verse 26. Listen to what he says here. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world um, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, here's our phrase, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. You know where that comes from? Jeremiah chapter 9. And this will be the end of the lesson. Jeremiah chapter 9. Now before I read this, I want to tell you why this lesson is important to me. The first time I ever heard that song, Bright in the Corner Where You Are, was from my grandmother. She would sing it as she rocked me on her lap as a little boy. 
she, um, my father's mother, never really got to get out much. Every, all the years I knew her, because of her age, because of her health, she sort of was homebound. But she always sang that song, and, and I'll never forget the way she sang it. And as I grew up, I began to realize what a light she had been in the little place where she lived. But the reason this is so fitting is as I was growing up in my own house, my father constantly would quote this passage. And I never really thought much about it until I got to be older. But here is the passage that he would quote. Look at verse 23 of Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. If you know my father... He never got any further than high school. He's not what the world would consider a wise man. He never got beyond like 5'7 or like 125 pounds. He's a small man, so he's not mighty. And he certainly isn't rich. I remember my dad would bring home furniture that he found in dumpsters, clean them up so we could have something in the house. But my father would constantly say, Let not him who is wise boast of his wisdom or him who is mighty boast of his might or him who is rich boast of his riches, but let him boast in this, that he knows who God is. The righteousness, the loving kindness and the justice of God. I don't care what your sphere is. And by the way, some of you have it um, in contrast here. We were down at the beach today. West Palm, we looked up the price of those places down there. None of you are that rich. None of you are that powerful. But you know who the Lord is. And wherever you live and whoever you're around, you share the loving kindness and the justice and the righteousness of God. And God will do things. I appreciate you letting me be here. It's been a pleasure. We're going to sing a song. We're not going to sing that song because none of you knew it. So... I'm going to skip that. You guys can learn that later and sing it next time we're here. But we're going to sing a song that's meant to encourage you. If you need our prayers, if you need anything from us tonight, let us know. We can help you while we stand and sing.